Appreciate very much you being in church tonight. Daniel chapter 1. And then we're going to read just a short passage there and then we're going to be going over to the book of Hebrews also after Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. <clears throat> you all know what a... Uh, what it means for something to dovetail into something else. It just kind of fits in and blends. There, Dovetailing is something that's done in furniture. And uh, furniture that's a little better made sometimes will have uh, one of the aspects of better made furniture. doesn't mean that everything that has this is better made, but, but one of the aspects of better made furniture is things are dovetailed. You have the little slots where they fit together and so that the... Uh, in, in the uh, um, cabinets and different things. It's got a little more strength. It's a little older method and still used though. And uh, so it's the idea of something fitting together and coming together and, and blending so it becomes as one. Uh, this, evening's, uh, this evening's message will dovetail from this morning's. Not a continuation of the same thought, but we'll dovetail in with this morning's and uh, dealing with excellence, approving, approving of excellence was this morning. And uh, tonight, I want you to look in Daniel chapter 1, and uh, I'll give you the the title here in just a moment, but I want to give you a thought uh, to encourage you and encourage us in our walk with God. We come to church to learn how to live for the Lord and how to go forward. I'm very much in favor of us going forward in our Christian walk. I've got several different things that I'm anxious to teach. I want to continue. I'd started in a financial series. I obviously put that on hold for a little bit because I want the, the most of the church body to be able to hear that, and that's fine. Um, go back over that. But, uh, but I, want us to, I want us to know that uh, God intends for us to live what we learn. That's why we come. Uh, is to find out how as Christians are we supposed to live in this world. And uh, Daniel chapter 1, and let me see, let me make sure I don't drag you through the whole section I don't need to. Look in verse 17. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. This uh, here we're dealing with, you're going to have the Jewish names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be given to you. But um, here Daniel's companions and himself are coming to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. This is their final exam, if you will, after having been trained uh, to be able to stand in the king's court and after all that's gone on. And uh, in verse 17, it says, as, as, <clears throat> excuse me, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, so all this training's gone on. Now it's the, tr- the testing before the king to see how they are. And the king communed with them. You have the idea of he's talking to them. He's asking them various questions. He's seeing what they do, how they respond. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And so they are being compared against those who have experience and learning and have been at this a while, 
And when the king's dealing with him, he finds him to be ten times better than the others he has in the realm. And Daniel continued even to the first year of King Cyrus. And of course, this continuation of the wisdom and what God used him for continued on through many decades of his life, starting here where he was a very young man. And so when the king examined them, he said, they're ten times better than anything else I've got. He said, they're just completely better than anything else I have. Now look in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And we're going to look at one verse. I'm not going to try to doctrinally set this in where it goes. I'm not pulling it out of context, but the point being taught tonight is taught in this verse. And uh, what I will tell you in in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, the he that's here is referring to Jesus Christ. If you read the context of the chapter, what's going on, it's a comparison of Christ, His priesthood, and this sort of thing. And so, look in Hebrews chapter 8 and, and verse 6, "...but now hath He obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also He is the mediator of a better covenant." That's the New Testament or the New Covenant. He's the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. And uh, so here it's talking about the establishment of the second covenant and how God, if you read on and see the context, how He will write His law in the hearts and minds of His people, how He dwells in us and that sort of thing. And it says this is a better covenant on better promises. More full, more complete, and uh, dependent upon God's Mercy not dependent upon the response of the people as far as the promises undergirding them. And so you have the words excellent and the word better keep coming back and forth here. And a uh, real simple message tonight. I want to talk to you about how to be better. How to be better. And uh, I believe that that desire, when people are born of God, I believe that the potential for that desire, and a lot of times the reality of that desire beats in their heart. They want to keep growing. Uh, you know, we, We're saved by a living God. And uh, the Holy Spirit lives within us. And it's characteristic of the influence of God to, to cause us to want to grow and, and to go forward. And of course, this morning I dealt with this thing of excellence and, and how we have a desire for excellence in different things. But how can a person be better? Uh, you know, it's interesting. This is a time of year when people made New Year's resolutions. I think the biggest New Year's resolution made this year by everybody's standard was this. I don't want to go through another one like that last one again. And uh, so I think, that, I think that's the basis of most of them. But, uh, but people will make resolutions and sometimes they all want to do something. And there's a, there's a saying that says a, uh, a uh, plan or a goal without a plan is nothing more than a wish. You say, well, I have a goal, okay? What steps lead to that goal? Well, I don't have any steps. And you don't have, you've got a wish. Here's hoping it happens. You have no realistic expectation for it to happen. And it's the same thing in every area of life. If we're going to become better, there is, indeed, there are things involved with becoming better. And uh, I don't know what all may be in your mind, something you would like, where you'd like to be better this year where you would like to be better in your life, that thing where you look at it and you say, you know, this is the area I'd really like to grow in. I don't know what that is for you. That's yours. That's personal. But I do know this. There are certain biblical principles that apply for everything you want to go forward in if you want to go the right way. Of course, God would be, uh, would be uh, giving us principles in the Scripture and would give us His active help in any area that uh, we are pursuing that is a right and a proper area. 
God's not going to get behind it if you're heading in a sinful area, in a wrong area. You're, you're not going to get His help on that. But any area that's right and clean and right, you know, decent, God will help you on it. So let me give you some thoughts about this. Um, if you want to get some wisdom, let me encourage you on this before I get into the message. If you want to get some wisdom on better, that term's used 20 times in the book of Proverbs. I thought to maybe give them to you, but if you have, you can look that up very easily. Just look up the word better in your King James Bible and the Proverbs, and you'll find 20 times that word better is used. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, you go through there, you're going to find some real wisdom on it. So it's a pretty neat study in and of itself. But tonight's, tonight's message isn't a Bible study of that type, but I wanted to encourage you to check it out. There's a lot in there it has to say about it. But uh, let me give you what you, you and I both need if we're going to get better, actually get better in some area. Um, the, and you were helpful with the title when I said how to get better that you were going to get rid of every lingering illness you had. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and you're on with that one. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? But <clears throat> first of all, let me say we need to have a better purpose. And this is really at the heart of the whole thing. We need to have a better purpose. In other words, the reason or motive behind whatever we're doing, our direction or our action. Um, it's the why of what you do. Why do you do what you do? Why are you going out? You know, it, that's so vitally important that in the book of Corinthians, when it talks about when our works are tried, it says every man's work shall be tried of what sort it is. And that not only deals with the work itself, was it a quality work, but what was behind the work? Why did we do it? Jesus, of course, emphasized over and over again the importance of the why behind what we do. You know, there were times in, this, this is amazing, but there were times in the Bible where God said to Israel, He said, I cannot stand your sacrifices. He, and they were sacrificing, doing all the right moves with the sacrifice, following the right procedure, and God said, they make me sick. Why? Because the heart they brought them with. Do you know that the Bible says the plowing of the wicked is sin? So what's that about? That means that God is very interested in the why behind what we do. And by the way, that's why God's only one qualified to actually judge us and what we do completely. Now, we, we use judgment. We discern things. You know, uh, <laughs> this person's wrecked the last three cars they've driven. I may not want to give them my keys. That's called using judgment. But looking at somebody saying, I know the reason you did that. God says that's off limits for you as humans because you don't see somebody's heart and you don't know what all is going on. What is this thing then of, 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 a, of having a better purpose? It's having a reason behind what you do. Now, there may be some things that God wants to touch you about tonight or wants to put His hand on tonight. It's not an action that needs change. It's not something... In other words, you're not off on what you're trying to do. But He wants you to stop and examine the purpose behind it. Why are you doing it? That's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to find out why you're doing it because long term it's going to make a dis difference on how you do things and what you do. Let me give you an, 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 an example of what I'm talking about. How about the, the better purpose? How about the reason behind a relationship? Whatever level of relationship you may get into. If the sole reason, if the central reason remains in a relationship for your own enjoyment or happiness, you're going to bring a lot of problems into that relationship. And you're going to keep it from ever maturing into what it ought to be. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it be a friendship, whether it be a marriage, whether it be whatever it is, work relationship. 
In other words, yes, anybody enjoys having a good relationship. Yes, there's happiness that can come in certain situations. I'm not saying those things are evil, but if that is the why behind it, then at some point you're going to bail out on the thing or you're going to distort or pervert the relationship. Why? Because it's, that's, not, that's not a good purpose. That's not in keeping with, with God's revealed will as far as what purpose relationship is. God brings me into relationships not primarily for my benefit. He doesn't mind if I am benefited and there's nothing wrong with that. And I have many relationships that are beneficial to me on, on one or many levels. That's not a sinful thing. I'm not saying it is. But that's not God's primary purpose. His primary purpose is so that I can minister to whoever's in that relationship. And we tend to think of minister in just kind of a kind of a more of a stiff church type setting, but that's not what you want to think about. Minister is just meeting needs, helping someone. Uh, let me tell you what is really enjoyable: being able to be a help or help someone grow or help someone in some way, someone you care about, and you be a blessing to them and help them become stronger, better, whatever. Is that? Um, what's what's our purpose? If we're going to get better, we need a better purpose in what we do. You know, it's interesting. Some of the great craftsmanship in history, um, furniture, buildings, that sort of thing, some of the great craftsmanship that has shown up has come from people who believe that what they're doing as a work is a service to God. They weren't just building something just to sell it. There's nothing sinful or wrong about doing that. That's called business. And God actually smiles on people who've got some business sense and know how to do things. So that's not a problem. But there's a step beyond that comes when someone does it as unto the Lord. In other words, they see a bigger purpose to it than just getting the job done. Um. Every, everything from how, how a person cares for their tools to how they, how, they, how they approach their work, what they do with it. Uh, folks, I, I, when, we, when I worked at, at Solo Cup in Chicago and worked for Solo Cup Company for a little while, Brother, Brother Tim and Miss Francis worked there also. He was on the other end of the world from us. You were down over on the other end. Did you ever drive the clamp trucks? Okay, forward. And I was on the other end where the finished cups were coming down for the hot wax machines and all that. And we were putting away in the warehouse. Well, when, when we worked there at closing time, not closing time, at the end of the shift, they had the clock, they'd punch out the, the clock there. That's the last job I ever had where I actually punched out at a time. I had a certain time at UPS, but it was the last time I ever punched a time. I've punched a time clock a couple of times. But, um, <laughs> boom. Um, but, there was a line would start forming. And I remember the foremans would have to come over and they'd be throwing a fit. And everybody, they'd have their time cards in their hand. That 3 to 11 shift, it's 10.55. And everybody's left their machines. They've left everything. And the people are standing over with their time cards in their hand. Can I tell you one reason why that place liked to hire people from our college? Because while they were over there, you could see the people who were from out there and say, God, they were over there working, finishing up, making sure things were straight. Same thing happened at Fruhoff. Same thing happened at several of the companies around there. And the college was big enough. Once they got some people in working there, they said, send us more of those. Why? Because instead of standing there with the time card, 
the foreman come over, hey, you, you can't get over time. I'm not, I just need to finish this up. No, you need to, you need to clock out. That's what you'd hear. Now, I know not everybody from college was like that. We had some duds like anybody else. But it was, the, but it was like, it, that was the general atmosphere and the difference between the things. Now, with that understood, there's a bigger purpose. Can I tell you, I never felt a great allegiance to Solo Cup. I never thought that my future was going to be intertwined with Solo Cup, except the Serbian women, literally, that worked at the wax machines that used to growl at me if I brought the wrong box. I thought one of those might send me into eternity. Other than that, I, I think there was a long-term thing there. I had no desire to... But it was important. If I was moving the skids of the boxes or, or doing whatever, it needed to be done right. If there's, for us to be better, we have to have a better purpose in what we're doing. Um, I, I, I like somebody who does work with their hands and they're glad to do it right. They want it to look right. They want it to be right. They want it to show right. Why? That's good. Do you know God honors that? Check your Bible out. He talks about that sort of thing a lot. And He honors people who operate that way. He's a God of excellence. He likes it when we have a better purpose with it. Um, <clears throat> The uh, a better or a, 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 a better why of what you do. So if we're going to be better, first thing we have is a better what? Starts with a P, ends with a nerpus. Um. <laughs> we have a better what? A better purpose. Thank you. There we go. Uh, help me out here. I'm, I need some help tonight in case you get down. <laughs> then, uh, biblically speaking, we need a better procedure. We need a better procedure, a way of going about things. <clears throat> Forgive me for using the word procedure. I'm not trying to make it a clinical thing. But with Daniel and with his companions, there was something involved that was a way they proceeded. And that was they would not eat the king's meat nor drink the king's wine. Now, they had a reason for it. It wasn't just like we don't like that food. It wasn't just you're not going to tell us what to do. But they had been trained in the Scripture that they had as young Hebrew men. And what happened was they knew that they were forbidden to eat meats that were sacrificed to idols. And there were several problems involved. Probably some of the meat also was not things they could eat. And so their basis for taking the stand they took was based on the Scripture they had that they were not allowed to do this scripturally. And what ended up happening, of course, they were put to the test and they went on this vegetable diet for them and they ended up being healthier than the other people because God's hand was on them for their obedience and they had a different procedure. Forgive me again, I don't want to sound clinical with it. I'm not trying to break it down into you know, a clinical presentation, but there is a process. Um, I, I, I have less and less patience. I didn't start out with much. Uh, but I have less and less patience for what I call theoretical Christianity. You know, the eyes can get wide. You can say God. You can sound all spiritual. You can get goosebumps so you know something is true because you got goosebumps when you heard it. And all that stuff goes on, but it doesn't translate into real day-by-day living. Right, right. Well, no use for that. This, this, this book's about knowing a God who's our, our Heavenly Father is the Spirit and, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And page after page after page of this sacred book teaches us how to day by day put into action what we're learning. It's procedure. 
I'm not trying again. I, I, I don't like to break it down and make it a sterile clinical thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am telling you, there is procedure involved. Somebody goes and they, uh, they're trying to do something with business. Well, I just hope God blesses it. What are you giving Him to bless? Do you take care of your accounts receivable? Do you take care of your equipment? What do you do with your taxes? Do you find out where you need help with that business? What, what's your ROI? What's your return on investment for your time in? And that? Do you know any of these things? What's your market like? What margins do you operate under? My wife and I were talking uh, to a lady. I think she's the, uh, I think her and her husband are the owners of the restaurant. There's a little restaurant called Wigwam up there in Canal. We went there for lunch today. It's a, it's a good place. A little sliver of America left. And uh, went in there and I got my hillbilly eggs. They have, they have a dish called hillbilly eggs. That's righteous eating. You say, what's hillbilly eggs? Like home, home fried t- potatoes and stuff all mixed in with the eggs. And it's on a plate about that big and they heaped mine today. It was almost a mountain belly. It was so big. <laughs> that was good eating. I like that. Amen. And you know, we went in, we went in a while back and I accidentally, hoard, I accidentally ordered hillbilly taters. <laughs> That's what I told her. I just messed up. I end up with these, you know, Potatoes. I'm like, what is this? She goes, you went into hillbilly taters. We figured this is what you meant. I'm like, did I really say taters? So today I made sure I said eggs. So anyway, it's hillbilly. this hillbilly doesn't know the difference between taters and eggs. And uh, <laughs> chickens are glad there's a difference. But they, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the sound they would make. Um, <clears throat> but as we were talking to the owner, the owner's uh, wife, the owner, she was talking about uh, different things and, and she was checking on a soup base. I didn't know if I could order the vegetable soup. I want to make sure there's no MSG in G. I'm not very allergic to that, as much as you know. But um, she went and checked and she said, you know, she said some things are pre-processed, she says, because the margins are so tight on running a restaurant, which they are. Everybody I've talked to in the food service industry uh, talked about how there's there's uh, uh, sometimes a 2 to 4% at the most margin for for uh, uh, for profit, it's a very tight world to live in financially. There's a lot of other types of business have a wider margin of operation, but restaurants don't. And uh, I've had more than one person who runs a restaurant. Uh, Dave uh, Dave Potts was the first one to tell me this. He said that's there's a reason why you can see a restaurant completely full all the time and it goes out of business. He said because it's so easy to get off the margins there as far as food loss or this or that. The, the Golden Crow, you know, shut down here with all this going on. And, uh, and Dave knew, the, I knew Jace, who was the owner of five of those. And it's a shame. He's a good, good Christian man. But he, Dave told me, so I'll tell you real numbers. He said they had to have $100,000 a week to stay open. Because the food loss and that type of thing with the buffet, you know, I'll take 19 chicken wings and then they eat four of them. And they won't let you put them back. Uh, thank, thank God. <laughs> and, but, but this thing, okay, I'm talking about procedure. What's it take to do it? Listen, I'm trying to help you here. This is true in every aspect of life. Well, just, you know, I just, I just, I just want to do this and I'm going to be, okay, what procedure are you putting into place? What steps? Well, I'll just ask the Lord to bless it. Excuse me, bless what? Well, you know, like he blessed Joseph. Read Joseph's life and see if he didn't do some things. See if Daniel didn't do some things. See if David didn't do some things. I don't care who you take in the Bible. You find people, and I understand God did things way beyond these people's power, but every person that he used had a procedure of doing some things involved. 
He said, man, Elisha, the great prophet, what was he doing when Elijah came by? Plowing, 12 yoke of oxen. He was getting something done. He had some procedure going on. Our God built this world. He created it. He said by wisdom it was founded. He organized it. He structured it. How could we not look at the obvious evidence before us and understand that God wants us to have some right procedures? And part of us getting better in any area is right procedure. If you want to be healthier, how are you going to get healthier? Well, I just hope to do better. And it will work. Hope to do better, won't do it. What are you going to do? Well, I want my, I want my house to be better. Okay, where are you going to put it? What is the procedure? It involves facing realities and it involves work. If you want to be better. But and a lot of people, unfortunately, are content with just bemoaning and giving excuse as to why they can't get better. Why they're a victim. Why they're different than everybody else. Why those people who actually do something with themselves, well, they just had all the breaks. They're given, you know, they started out lucky. Well, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. I don't know why that would be happening. Anyway, it sounds like a good way to kill a child. I, I you know, that's, that's horrible. You're choking at the cock. What? No. Look, we're very blessed people. With all the nonsense that's going on, we still have a great country to live in and we have great opportunity. As God's people, we have great opportunity. We have a great God. But the procedures have to be in place for doing some things. Ask God. He Just like He gave wisdom to these, He gave wisdom to us. A better procedure. This brings me to a scripture I want to show you. Look in 1 Corinthians 12. So we said the first thing is a better... Purpose, okay? You remember the purpose part of that? And then, uh, then we have a better procedure. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this particular verse does not use the word better, but you will see exactly how this, this shows us something here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The, the Corinthian people, the people of Corinth, were really interested, fascinated, desirous of spiritual gifts. It led to some real spiritual messes. It led to, because they were carnal as a group. Okay, now watch this. They had a desire for some spiritual gifts and, 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 and they said, okay, we want to be used of God. But because they were carnal as a group, they were, the Bible says that they were a carnal group, spiritual gifting got all messed up. Because when you take spiritual gifting and mix it with a carnal heart and mind with what's going on, you end up with a mess on your hands. It becomes a pride show. Look what I can do. Look at the ability I have and all this nonsense. Okay, let's think on that just a second here. But the church there, which grew, and I don't mean just numerically, as you go through First and Second Corinthians, you see that they're growing in their walk. You see that there are people who are responding to truth. Um. They had their problems, but they weren't stiff-necked people towards the Lord. They, they were not ever called rebellious. You won't find the word rebellious used in, in Corinthians, First or Second Corinthians. They were carnal people. And, and so they were learning to, to follow God. But they, you know, spiritual gifts. One person would have an ability and it would kind of get everybody's attention. Everybody else wanted to do that too, you know. And all this stuff going on. And of course, you're still doing in time of the apostles here, there were, so there were some things that were apostolic that were given to them that other people just didn't get. And it just created a mess. 
But look at this and look what happens as they're being taught to come towards maturity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, he, he says to them, verse 31, he goes down and mentions different giftings and such and, and, and asks him, is everybody supposed to do this? No, not everybody does this, you know, on the different gifts. He says, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. This one two times in the Bible, covet is used in a good sense. God wants you to want his to be used of him. But covet earnestly the best gifts. He said, I want you to want that. But look at the end of the verse. And yet I show unto you a what? More excellent way. What is that? That's procedure. That he says, I I want you to want the best gifts from the Lord. I want you to seek that. I want you to desire that. But let me show you the procedure that has to go with that. What's 1 Corinthians 13? Charity. It starts out with the declaration of the emptiness and ineffectualness of gifts without charity. In other words, remember back in 1 Corinthians 3, they were puffed up for one against another. They were dividing. And by the way, let me just put this out here right now and tell you, if you don't know that our adversary will try to use everything that's going on around us to divide, uh, divide a church family against itself, then you're not aware of his tactics because his tactics have always been the same. They are still the same. We are not ignorant of his devices. He will always try to divide a house against itself to take it down. And uh, I, I, we, we've, got to, we've got to keep, if we keep our central focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and what it teaches here in 1 Corinthians 13, you know what will happen? We'll come through a time of trial and we'll grow because of it and we'll help one another and we'll, we'll be on our feet and we'll be going the right direction because God's, God's willed it that we can follow Him. We can obey Him. But here's what he says. He says it's procedure. He said, I want you to desire good gifts. Hey, Corinthian church, I want you to desire good gifts. But I'm going to show you a more excellent way. You need charity with this. Because if you have these giftings, some of you have these strengths, others of you have these strengths, some strengths are visible strengths, and those get way too much attention because they're visible out there. And, 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 and people think that they're less because they can't do this, or people think they're more because they can do this. He said the whole thing will come apart on you if you don't have charity. What is charity? That's the procedure. How do you go about it? Charity vaunteth not itself. The first fundamental core thing of charity is that it does not operate pridefully. And that issue of pride is what causes such poisoning in all actions. And so what happens is, he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And here's a more excellent way. You operate with the motive of charity behind everything that you do. I've said to you that charity is the, it's the oil, it's the lubrication that keeps the mechanics of people and the interaction of people. It keeps us flowing. It takes care of the friction. Takes care of the struggles that come up. Brings us to this fact that there's a better procedure. So if we're going to be better, well, first we need a better purpose. And then we need a better what? 
procedure. All right? Now watch this. We need to learn and to live the better promises of the Bible. Do you remember the verse we read in Hebrews about Christ? A better covenant based on better promises. What we need to do is to learn and to live those promises. And learn and live the commandments that are given with that. In other words, find God's way of doing what you're doing. Something that you're doing that's a right thing to be doing. It's proper. It's right. It's good. You need as a child of God to find what does God say about how I should be approaching this. My most frequent prayer in my mind right now. It's just continually coming back. God, help me to pastor and to shepherd and love your people exactly how you want them through a tough time. Don't let me step to the left or to the right the wrong way. Let me to have the strength and the clarity of, 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 of the call saying, be steady, keep going forward, don't give in to a spirit of fear. Let me have the compassion that Christ has and to love people and be patient. I'm telling you, let's find God's way. How are we supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing? Um, give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Find God's way. There's a better way of finances. Most Christian people live in a bondage that God doesn't desire. God never intends for His people to be slaves. And yet, so many people through so many different uh, actions have themselves exactly in that situation and God doesn't want that for them. Also, a lot of times people don't lift up their eyes to see how they can be helpful to things of the Lord and to the work of the Lord. What could you do? Who could you help? Where could a... <laughs> there are individuals in this room right now, you could set a goal for the year and you could, you could easily make sure that there's a church in another land. I'm not talking about the gathering of people where they have someone put a roof over their head. Find God's way of doing what we're doing. What is God's way of doing it? What does God say about things? You know, we get, we get educated by our society around us and just accept some things as normal, which aren't God's way of doing things. And it's just, just amazing. Uh, how, about, how, about, uh, how about a better way of relationships? How we enter, in, enter into them, what we do, the, the, what we use them for, what we, what we try to accomplish for the Lord with them. How about this? How about a better way with our mind and our spirit? It's interesting when I read of the time leading up to the tribulation period and lead to the time when the church will be taken out of here and this world goes through tribulation. One of the things that happens and one of the things of earmark of that whole time period leading into that and going into the tribulation is a term that's used that the enemy seeks to wear out the saints. That's the term that's used. I heard somebody make a statement last week. It's an interesting quotation. They said, tired is in the mind, exhausted is in the soul. That's kind of interesting. Um, like I was able to be an encouragement to some folks who don't come to our church, but I was, I was talking to them. They were asking me certain questions about things. And, and I talked to them about 
how it says about Jesus in, in, in the Psalm 23, it talks about the shepherd, and it says, He restoreth our soul. He restoreth my soul. And I said, that's not a one-time act. He's in a constant restoration because we get worn down. And we talk about these things, and both these believers are like, never even thought about that before. I said, that's the context of that. It's a continual thing. Thank God He restores my soul. Thank God the mercies of God are new every morning. That's why we were not consumed. Uh, all these things are there. What is this? This is, a, this is a better way of our mind and our spirit going on. I, I, I beg you, don't go to bed. Last thing you do is look at news, look at this, look at that, and go to sleep. You are poisoning yourself. You say, I need to know what's going on. Check it once a day. It doesn't change that often. But don't do it right before you lay down to sleep. There is a process of your mind. I can show you in the Scripture that God deals with you. He wants to renew your mind, but your mind's affected by what you put into it. Let me give you the, the good things I found on this. Look in Philippians chapter 4 and let me show you just a couple of verses here. <clears throat> so much I could say, but I don't... I, I just want to stay very focused on a help to you here with this. Our minds, our spirit. Listen to me. This is one of the areas where people do the victim thing the most. They can't help what you think about. Yes, you can. And not only can you, but we are commanded to. Let that sink in. Well, I can't help what I think. Yes, we can. And we're commanded to. You will have things come up in your mind because of outside stimuli. It'll bring up. That's not thinking on. Thinking on is choosing to dwell. Well, I just can't help it. That's the way I've always been. You may have always been in, out of place and, and, and not as you ought to be in that area. Did it ever occur to you that maybe what you've always been needs to change? It's really rather arrogant when people say that in any area. Well, that's where I've always been. As if, well, okay, but it's messed up. So why are we happy with that? Right. No. <laughs> we serve back to the basic premise. We serve a living God. And we can grow. And we can change. And we can go forward. But if you don't believe that, you won't do it. I can't believe it for you. I can preach as enthusiastically as I want to. I can pray for you. I can try to lead you. But you've got to get a hold of this thing. Because that's coming from within. But man, when it does, there's a difference. Philippians chapter 4, look in verse 8. This is within reach of each of us. Finally, brethren. I like that. It's a good lead-in, isn't it? In other words, here's something you need to pay attention to. This is it. Whatsoever things are what, church? You know this. True. Okay? Well, that'll take most of your news agencies out. <laughs> really will. Honest goodness. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are what? <laughs> We're narrowing her down right there. Whatsoever things are what? Yes. There you go. Whatsoever things are what? Yes. Wow. That, that, puts, that puts it there, doesn't it? Whatsoever things are what? There you go. Whatsoever things are of? Good report. If there be any virtue, and if there be any grace, think on these things. Why not choose? 
to think healthy. I'm not talking now your physical condition, but I mean there are there is thinking that's unhealthy. It leads to very bad things. As I mentioned this morning, I'm not one of these that runs around and says everything that happens. Well, it's a challenge. No, some things are just a pain in the neck. But I deal with the reality of that. But that doesn't mean that's where I have to live. We face the realities of some things that are rough and some things that are hurt and some things that are messy. And some things, you face the reality of that. But do you know you can do that and this at the same time? Where are we going to put our minds? It really is a choice we have to make. You say, that's hard. It is at the beginning. I agree with you. Because your mind has trained and put grooves towards a certain way of approaching things. And when you choose to do things God's way, as revealed in His Word, it may be very hard at first. We really live in a society that has become addicted to fear and addicted to disaster. And as much as so many people are saying, I wish this was all over, the fact is they're feeding on it. Pay attention. 2 Corinthians 10, let me show you something with this. What I'm saying is don't go with them. I've driven by many, many a hog pen. I've ridden bicycle by where hogs are out rooting in the mud. And they're there. That's reality. But I don't have to jump out and go waller with them. Any wallering to do is on my plate in the form of bacon. Second Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10. So Piggy went to market and I took him home after that. Amen? It's the only time I want him. Look in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, there's the reality of what we live. We live in this flesh. We live in, in this world. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We don't employ those tactics. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which is fleshly, but mighty through whom, church? Through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. That's a fortified enemy position. Casting down what? Imaginations. A lot of people run their blood pressure high, literally give themselves hypertension because of what they're imagining. What if, what if, what if, what if? God doesn't want you living in that world. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And, look at the terminology, bringing into what? What are we bringing into captivity? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. The fact that we have to bring it into Captivity tells us it's trying to run wild and loose. But we have the wherewithal to do it through God. If we're going to be better, we need a better purpose in what we're doing. A fleshly, 
Carnal, self-centered purpose won't get it done. We need something better than that. If we're going to be better, we need a better procedure. We need to look at realities. I can't tell you how frustrating it is. You deal with people all the time and you, and, and you see person after person, well, I want to do better in this area. Why are you going to change? I don't know. I've always been. You're not going to do anything that way. You've got to get... What are you going to do? I'm no use for this kind of crazy. Well, I'll just go ask God to change me. I'm sick of that kind of talk. Ask God to change you while you don't do what you can do. God is offended at that kind of talk. He's offended at that kind of prayer. You're supposed to do what you can do and I'm supposed to do what I can do and realize that God's the one who gives us the strength to do it and He will go beyond what we can do. But we have the responsibility to do what we can. Then we need a better procedure of doing these things and then let me say lastly to you, we need a better person. We need a better person. What's that? That's the you that was born by the Spirit of Christ. Real quick, look at Ephesians chapter 4. We've got a better purpose. We need a better procedure than a better person. Mom used to say, now you know better than that. That's the way she went about correcting. Well, you can do better than that. Now, you can do better than that. That's not you. You can do better than that. Well, there was so much wisdom in that. Can I say that your Heavenly Father says to you through His Word, there is a better you that was born of God and you can do it. You can do what you ought to do as, as a child of God. Look, at, look here in Ephesians chapter 4. A better you. Ephesians chapter 4. Look in verse 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets to some people He gave these and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. It's the only dual thing there. It's incumbent. A pastor has to be apt to teach. What's the purpose of these being given? For the perfecting of the saints, bringing to a fullness and a maturity. For the work of the ministry. Get your hands dirty. Get something done. For the edifying of the body of Christ. To build, to strengthen through His Word. What's the final end game that God has for this. Look in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's Christ being formed in us. We need a better person. That which is born in us of God needs to be developed. Needs to be developed. Um, look in the uh, same chapter. I moved away from which I shouldn't have. Look a little further down in the same chapter. Excuse me, I'll get back to where you are. I, I jumped ahead prematurely. Um, there in Ephesians 4. Look on down then in uh, verse, tw- uh, say verse 20. It had talked about people who being past feeling and giving themselves over to lasciviousness lasciviousness is all kinds of fleshly sin and wickedness and they gave themselves over to it because they had so inflamed their flesh that they couldn't get a feeling they couldn't get a thrill they couldn't get an excitement anymore so they keep going further further off where they be into further perversions and further problems why because they're looking for something that they can feel that's it's a horrible place to go and that's the end of what flesh will do but it says, it, it talked about them, and then 
Contrast that then with God and, and, and His people. Verse 20, He says, but ye have not so learned Christ. In other words, what you learned about Jesus would never take you to that. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off, remember I'm talking to you about you need, you need a, a better person, that ye put off concerning the former conversation. That's your manner of life. That's how you do things. That you put off concerning the former conversation. That, um, which man? The old man. Which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. In the earlier part of the chapter, it's talking about how those lusts deceive because when you go after them, it just inflames more appetite and there's no real satisfaction. Look at, look at what happens at put, when you're putting off this old man, in other words, you're going for the better person, and be renewed, where? In the spirit of your what? Didn't we just deal with this thing about the mind and what we do and what the Bible says how to, how, how to get our mind in the right place? Verse 24, and that you put on the new man. Can you see the decision that we have in this? Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That new man is created. His DNA. That of which it is born. Born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. His DNA. That new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. So this thing of the better person is learning to yield to that instead of yielding towards the corrupt and deceitful lust that was there before. Sometimes it starts with something, talking about procedure, it starts with something as simple as keeping your mouth closed. It starts with something as simple as changing the habit of how you do things because you've got yourself following the motions of sin which are in the flesh. You go to this place at this time, you talk to this person, you end up doing this. You do this, this, and this, you end up doing this. You need to break that cycle. Very practical procedural steps with it. Why? Because if we're going to be better, you need a better person. Let me show you the final passage I want to show you is in Colossians. And look at Colossians chapter 3. Talk about a better purpose. Talk about a better procedure. And now we're talking about the better person, that which is born in you. The you that was born of the Spirit of God. That's why we say such things. I know better than that. I can do better than that. Oh man, I, you know better than that. Why are you? And you were talking to ourselves. Why? Because something's been born in us that knows to do better. Colossians 3 and look in verse 9. Lie not to one another. It's appalling to me as a pastor how often people who claim the name of Christ are out and out liars. It is appalling to me how often I find out the people I pastor are liars. That ought to be something you take very serious and realize judgments attached to that. Verse 9, Lie not to one another, seeing that you have, look at the phrasing, put off. Who'd you put off? The old man. With his what? His actions. How he does things. And have, what's the phrase used? Put on who? The new man, 
which is, here's the word again, renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. In other words, we're supposed to be resembling our Heavenly Father. Logan looks like me. Now, obviously, not by his handsome and stuff, but he. <laughs> but people will see us, or people will, we will encounter the same people, and they'll say, I, I met your son. Or they'll say, He's obviously your son. Why? There's the, there's the outward resemblance of that. Obviously, I'm a little bit shorter and stuff, but we very much look alike, our facial structure and that sort of thing. Um, why is that? You say, well, that's DNA and all that. Sure it is. Uh, because we're born again of the Spirit of God. We're actually regenerated. The life of God's put inside of us. And there's a resemblance born to our Heavenly Father. And if we're going to be better, that's what we need to yield to. And yield to those impulses that are born of heaven, not of earthly lust. That impulse to be kind. That impulse to do right. That impulse to pray. That impulse to give thanks to God. That impulse to bow your head before a meal, not go at it like some kind of animal, but acknowledge that you have a Creator and a God who has given you all things. That, that impulse inside uh, that, that wants to do right and, 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 and be honest and those things. Why? Because that's how you become better. I say, preacher, I wish I could get better. You can. Quit wishing. Go after it. Except the fact there's some work involved. There's some time involved. Except the fact you're going to have victories and defeat along the way. And, and, and you can start. And I tell you what, if you go about it, you'll find out it can be very exciting. It's a really neat thing called learning to grow in grace. And it's a neat place to live. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your people. What a great night to be in church. Thank you for these who have gathered. And uh, Lord, I pray you'll bless. Help us to take this truth seriously. I want to. I need it. Lord, just specific things that you bring to my mind right now. And uh, Lord, I, I yield to you in it. And one, uh, uh, one, your wisdom and, and putting all the steps in place and knowing what to do next, where to put my energy. And Father, I pray you'll bless your people with that. And from these youngest ones in here to our adults, God, may they have a heart to be better in your eyes. And Lord, May they know the satisfaction and the thrill of starting to be better and see in progress. Help them, Lord, and bless them tonight, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We have a song invitation to join those who have already come. Miss Webb plays. Why don't you come ahead this evening, if you would, please.